Yo, what's up, you guys? Today I have with me Jose Hernandez. Jose Hernandez is an artist, international speaker, co-founder of Inner Immersion, and he's also been featured in the Netflix docuseries Surviving Death. Jose, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate it very much. It's an honor. Awesome, awesome. Honor for me, too. So, you know, yeah. all right, we'll get right into it. Um, so, Jose, if you could just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, just a little bit of your background, and then we can get into whatever led to your powerful near-death experience, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'll start by saying, before my near-death experience, I was uh, an atheist. So, if you could imagine, uh, I grew up in a world where my father was First Nation, and my mother was Catholic, so the religions were totally, totally different. Uh, you know, my father believed that creator was everywhere. My mother said, God, you got to go to a church to find God. So I didn't want to step on any toes and choose one over the other. So I decided that science was going to become my God. And I kind of stayed in, in that neutral lane. I, I created my own lane. And I started to uh, believe that math and science was going to be the end all, the answer to everything. And that, in, in my mind at that time, there was no such thing as God or creator. I never said it to my parents that way, but, you know, to me, it was all about numbers. And eventually, we're going to find out where everything came from. And, you know, there's no soul, there's no spirit, there's none of that. And uh, so that kind of brings me to this uh, major event where I get, I wind up uh, getting hurt at work. And I broke uh, all the ribs on my right side. And I uh, wind up in the emergency room. They give me a medication. Turns out I'm allergic to it. Uh, uh, but it wasn't like anaphylactic shock where you just all of a sudden take the pill and then you can't breathe and they're treating you right there. It was a slower process. So my breathing just started to slowly get worse and worse and worse. So I do wind up back in emergency like two months later. Uh, so imagine I got hurt the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving in the U.S. Uh, and I wind up in hospital like January 6th. So I go to the emergency room. Uh, I really can't breathe, but I'm a guy. So I'm trying to be tough. And, you know, this thing that we go through as men, we like. We got to be tough. And then because my father was First Nation, in his mind, we're like life takers and we support our family. We provide, we protect them. So I have this crazy mindset. You know, uh, growing up in the South Bronx adds to that because you got to kind of, I, I, I grew up in the streets. Uh, anyway, I'm lucky enough that I wind up going to school, becoming an engineer, but getting back to the hospital, I... Uh, I'll share the story and how it felt for me to pass. Uh, what happened was uh, they decided they're going to keep me in the hospital. My wife at the time and my son were with me. And it was like 1130 at night, 12 o'clock. And I said, hey, why don't you guys just go home already? And uh, I'm going to be fine. You know, they're just going to do a few tests and I'll probably go home tomorrow. So they left. By the time they left, it must have been about one o'clock. Uh, nurse comes in. She says, "Jose, I'm gonna. You got this button on the bed. If you need anything, call me. Just push that button. I'll, I'll be right here." So she leaves the room, and uh, Joshua, I'm gonna tell you, it was like already. I'm thinking, I want to push that button from the moment she gave. She said it to me. I'm like, man, I should push this right now. But then my ego and this macho craziness comes in and says, no, you can't push that button. You're going to be fine. Stop being a baby. Just relax. And, you know, you're going to, be... it always turns out that you're okay. So I kind of convinced myself that I was okay. And I waited and waited and waited. I waited about 45, 50 minutes. And uh, I finally can't take it anymore. And I pushed the button. So I pushed this button. And there's a clock right over the door. So I'm looking at this clock. And it takes about one minute for the nurse to come into that room. Man, that moment felt like it was forever. 
And finally, she opened the door. She looked at me. She didn't say a word to me. She just hit the button, the cold blue button on the wall. And uh, I'm looking at her like, wait a minute. She just didn't do that. And uh, the next thing I know, the room is getting filled with people. Now, I'm going to share to you what I felt emotionally during that those those few minutes. So the first emotion that I felt, if you can believe this, was shame. So I was ashamed because I'm a guy and I'm trying to hold on to this sheet. And they coming in there and they pull the sheet off me. They strip me down. They put this board underneath me. They lift me up and they put this board under there. And I'm like so weak that I can't do anything to stop them. And I felt shame that they were able to strip me like that. Uh, I mean, I know they're there to help me, but still, I, that was the emotion that I felt. Next thing was I started thinking, what if this is real? What if I'm really sick? What's going to happen to my family? They just left and I'm here all alone. And they're never going to be able to come back in time to, to see me. So I'm never going to see them again. And then I felt this emotion, right? I felt my heart knot, like a tremendous knot. And I can't breathe. So now I feel this tremendous knot there and this pressure. And I've never, ever felt that in my life, that sense of loss that I was going to lose everything that I love, everything that I know. And I felt like I was just falling and falling and falling. And I couldn't stop. I finally hit the bottom. And uh, I'm thinking. For the first time. I'm beginning to feel that sense of fear. That comes with the unknown. Now I'm thinking about math and science. I just said that. And when I got to this moment. Math and science didn't mean. A damn thing. That no value for me. I couldn't hang my hat there. There was nothing to support anything. So I didn't have a belief of the afterlife of, you know, you survive death or anything like that. So I'm thinking like an engineer, they're going to shut me off like a light and I'm just going to turn black. Everything's going to be empty. There's nothing. So I visualized myself becoming nothing. And that was really scary. I scared the, the fear that I felt was palpable. Now, I grew up in the streets, so I... No fear, but not like that. And uh, anyway, I'm having this experience where I have this tremendous fear. And what I want is somebody to hold my hand. So I'm like, I can't talk, but I could reach out and grab somebody's hand. And uh, Joshua, I'll tell you, that same thing kicks in again and says, Jose, you can't show any fear. If I show fear, my father's going to turn in his grave. And uh, I actually stiffened. My body actually got rigid. And I said, no, I'm not going to show these people fear. And I didn't. Now, I could have simply reached out and held anybody's hand. But I didn't do it. And um, in hindsight, that was a big mistake. Just touching somebody would have been such a comfort at that moment. So after that, I start thinking about God. Now, they're giving me all these medications and, and my heart is racing. So in my chest, it feels like a horse is, is, is galloping. And uh, so I start thinking about God or creator. And I said, what if God or creator is real? You know, if, and then I started Bargaining, I guess, would be the best way to put it. I was saying, God, if you're real, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do all the right things, right? I'm going to change my ways. And I waited. And I waited about 20 seconds, but those 20 seconds felt really, really long. And during those 20 seconds, my experience was, you know, I had an IV drip and I could hear the, the drip. Sounds like water hitting a tin roof, so I could hear that splash, splash, splash. And that kind of gets my attention. I'm like, wow, that is so strange. Why is that so loud? Then I'm looking at the wallpaper. I can see the walls about 12, 14 feet away from me. And 
I could see the grain in the wallpaper. My my mind is going, wow, what what the what is going on? You know, you you can't you normally you can't do this. And so I'm having this asking myself these questions about what's happening with my senses, and at the same time, I'm waiting for God to intervene. And about 20 seconds pass, and what happens is my heart gets incredibly irregular. And it starts to sound like a horse just galloping, but kind of out of step. And all of a sudden, you hear that thing going, beep, 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 beep. And then it just goes like this, beep. Now, my mind knew that my heart just stopped. And what happened was, I became angry. And I said to myself, I knew God wasn't real, so what, what am I doing? Why am I trying to reach out to something that I know is not real? And I cursed God out. I I said, freak you, and I knew you weren't real anyway. And uh, the fear sets in again. Because I, I know that my heart stopped, and I know I'm in serious trouble, and I know essentially dead. The next thing is I'm looking towards the door where the doorway is underneath that clock and that door was open and there was a bright light coming in through, really bright there. And I could see a shadow. And then I start thinking to myself about the relationship I had with everyone that I'm never going to be able to see them again. I'm not. So that loss is is so total. It's it's hard to explain this because the loss is everything that I've learned, everyone that I've met, everyone that I love, my kids, my family, everything is just going to disappear in one second. It just broke me. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm saying to myself, because of the way I grew up and because of the way my father grew us up, because we grew up in the streets and we have to be these tough guys all the time, I started saying to myself, okay, Jose, it's 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 okay. There's no shame in what you're doing. You're not quitting and you're not giving up. So that was the way I'm... We, we were taught never to quit and never to give up and to get up. If we fall down, we get up and keep fighting. But I realized that I couldn't win this fight. And I said that to myself, there's no way I could change what's going on. There's nothing I could do to stop this is actually the way I said it. So eventually I said to myself, Joshua, it's okay to die. The minute I said it was okay to die, this shadow that's standing by the door just moves into that room. And it reaches out and it touches me. When this shadow touches me, I feel this tremendous sense of peace and calm and the sense of love. And I could feel this warm breeze and it felt so well. I felt perfect. I felt like I wasn't sick at all. I'm, but what is really going on? I, I just felt so perfect. And then the breeze is just blowing. I got long hair. So I, I'm thinking my hair is just blowing in this wind. And I'm like, I'm having a vision while this is happening. And I feel myself being lifted and lifted and lifted. The next thing I know, I'm standing in the corner of the room and I'm watching the crash scene trying to save my life. And I'm looking at myself and then a, a lot of what I say defining moments happen from here on. This is the first defining moment where I looked at myself and I said, that's me and I'm dead. Then I said, but if that's me, then who am I? So that became a big deal. Who am I? I realized I was a lot more than, than my body for the first time in my life. Then I hear this voice by my, the left side of me, and she says to me, think of yourself as a car. and This car has like 5 million miles in it, and you can't fix this. So Jose, you got to say goodbye to your body. So I'm thinking, wow, I just said goodbye to life. It was so hard to say goodbye to life, right? Now she's asking me to say goodbye to my body. 
This is the second defining moment. So I'm looking at myself for the first time in my life. I looked at myself and I, I felt like I had, my body had been perfect. You know, I wasn't good enough. I, I, you know, all these fears that I had, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that. All that went away. My body was perfect. I was good enough. And for the first time in my life, I actually felt love for who I had been. Because I, I hated, when I looked in the mirror, I used to hate how I looked. I was never happy with a whole lot about me. And uh, success didn't take that away. Success was about having stuff. And here I am in this place where stuff doesn't matter. Can't bring any of that with me. None of that matters. And then I started to get these memories. And I started seeing myself like when I was little, holding my little brother's hand. Somebody gave me a little kiss, a hug. I could hear birds sing. I could see the sunrise. I was having all these beautiful, beautiful memories of things that we experience every day. And I had never noticed them before. So even the, when my kids were little, when they look at you, they depend on you with that love that they have for you, that you could see it right in their eyes. And, and I'm, because I was trying to compete with everybody and do the guy thing, I uh, missed all that. So I missed a lot of my life. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I miss life. 99% of life happens in these moments that are not dramatic. So, you know, I'm thinking that my memory is going to be, oh, you get married, you see your baby born, you graduate university. These defining moments that we think in life. And what it was showing me that I had this every day, every minute, and I couldn't see it. I, I didn't notice it. It wasn't something that I was capable of seeing. So I was missing out on life. And uh, I also realized that my body, this vessel, had sacrificed itself for me and gave itself up for me. So the best way for me to explain that to you is to visualize a, a candle. You light a candle and it burns, it burns, it burns. It gives itself up for you. It gives you that little light and then it's gone. That's what happened here. I looked at myself and... Uh, with so much love and, and 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 caring for the first time ever. So I was good enough. And so many people are always telling you you're not good enough. You got to try harder. You got to keep doing this. You got to keep fighting. You got to keep the fight up. And, and, and I realized I was fighting all that. And all along, what I was looking for, I already had it. Everything I was looking for in life, I already owned it. It was mine already. And I was so caught up in this competition and this way we grow up in life that I missed it. Then I hear the voice again and she says, we got to keep going. So I looked at her, I said, okay. And then she walked right through those doors that she came in. And uh, in front of me is like a big black hole in the ground. She says, keep going, I keep going, I fall into this hole, and I'm falling, 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 and I feel like something's being torn off of me. And it was slightly discomforting. It was the first time in the experience that I felt any discomfort at all. Then I land on the bottom, and she says, keep going, I keep walking, and there's another one of those holes, I fall in there, the same thing happens. Then, this time, when I hit bottom, Imagine you're in the middle of a basketball, inside the middle of it, and you're just floating. And all around is this ball of color, like what's behind me. And the thing is that that color's moving, it's alive, it's talking to me. And the first thing I feel is like accepted and loved and in a non-judgmental way, they don't care. And whoever I had been, whatever I was, however I looked, it didn't matter. I was accepted and I was perfect and that feeling was so comforting it made me feel so safe and then I could feel I was moving and and I I can't really say if I was moving I don't know if I was moving towards the color the color was moving towards me but ultimately I got absorbed into the color 
and I became the colors. And then I got a sense of blue, red, yellow. I, I became all these colors. And I had an experience which was the third defining moment where it was teaching me not only about how to paint, but it was teaching me about life. And uh, it was like hearing a million voices at one time talking to you. So it sounded like chatter. But somehow I was comprehending something that was going on in this space. I was explained how to paint and how, how to do stuff. So it, it told me very clearly to start with a black canvas, painted black first. And it explained to me why. And the best way that I can explain it to you so you could understand what I'm saying is imagine you're out in a bright, bright sun somewhere. Then you come into a really, really dark room in the house and it looks like it's just black and empty. But when you turn on the light, it's full. You got all your furniture, everything's there. You shut it off, it looks empty again. And it explained to me that that's what the universe is. When you see that blackness at night in space, it looks empty, but it's full. There's no, no, no empty space anywhere. Everything is always full. So I took that to heart. I keep going through these colors. I finally emerged. First thing I see is this beautiful forest. And these, this mountain range right behind it. Now, I grew up in New York City. Then I lived in Florida, which is, you know, a lot of buildings in New York City and Florida is totally flat, you know. Uh, so I, it, I was curious, why is this what I'm seeing? But the first thought that I had was about my kids. And I said, what's going to happen to my kids? And I hear that voice tell me again, don't worry, Jose, you can see them from here. When she told me that I could see them from there, I was like, you know, so I can be in calm and peaceful. And then that sense of love was just so rich. I mean, it's the sense that you feel there of love and acceptance and things like that is so profound and very difficult to, to explain, but it just overwhelms you. It just, oh, just everything feels so perfect. Anyway, I see this tree in front of me, and I start moving to the tree. The next thing is, before I move to the tree, I realize I'm flying. And I said, I'm flying. And the voice says to me, that's normal here. So I just accepted that, started moving towards that tree. And as I got closer to that tree, I became that tree. So I could feel it feeding from the ground. I could feel it nurturing, going through it. It had a heart. I could feel it beat. It was like as alive as, as I had ever been. Then I moved through the tree and I became the leaves. I became the birds that were on the tree. I became the sky that was around us. And everything that I approached, I became. So I got past the tree and there were stones in front of me. As I went near the stones, I became the stones. But the thing is that nothing in this space didn't have life. Everything was filled with life, even the stones, the soil. Earth was alive. Mother Earth was completely a living organism. And uh, anyway, I keep going and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing those mountains in the background and I want to get there. And it's really a beautiful view because I can see the shadow, the clouds are casting on the mountains and they're kind of dark and it was so contrasting beautiful. Then there's snow on the top and I'm thinking, wow, I, I, I want to get up there. I want to see what that looks like. So I go up to the top of this mountain after I had experienced everything. So when we talk about being one, about being one with everything, I had an experience of becoming everything that I saw. And in this place, you are everything. You are a part of everything. If that sense of oneness is very rich and deep. So I get to the top of this mountain finally. And I look to my right. And on the right, I see the sun. And then I look to the left, and on the left, there's a beautiful beach, a cove, like a U. And it, it's just a beautiful ocean. I look back to the sun, and I can feel that warm air coming from there. And I'm thinking, that's what's lifting me. Scientists is kind of still there a little bit. So I'm saying, this is what's giving me this lift, warm air. And then I can see the sun, but it looks like flares. Solar flares are coming out of it, like I'm looking through a telescope. Then. 
I look back to the right and I look down to the beach and I can see a man in the beach and he's about knee deep in the water. And in one hand, six kids are in a line and the other hand, he's got one child and they're just like in a line. Then I got to make a choice here. Joshua, here I think this is another defining moment because I feel if I choose to go to the sun, I may not have come back. That I chose to go to see I wanted to see who this person was. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go see who that is. I, I gotta see who that person is. And I start going down. And, uh, I get about 10 or 14 feet from this man. Turns around. When that man turns around, it was my dad. Now, first thoughts in my head, and I'm saying my head, I, I never saw what I looked like, so I don't know what I was, but first thoughts were, wow, I'm going to be able to tell my father in death what I couldn't tell him when I was alive. And I'll share a little with you so you understand where I'm coming from with that way. When he was alive, me and him were always bumping heads used to drink and he was quite abusive and he used to fight with my mom a lot and when I was about 12 or 13 I came like her protector I tried anyway and uh, we were always fighting so uh, we we were always like clashing and then on top of that because the way that he grew up and the way he he raised us men aren't supposed to hug. Men don't say I love you to men. He had that really deeply ingrained in his head. And uh, I couldn't even have long hair even though it's custom. He didn't allow us to have long hair the way that the culture called for it. Uh, and I took a lot of abuse for that. I was the only one in my family that decided to let my head go out like this. Men. And uh, anyway, he, uh, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, well, I'm going to be able to do all these things. And then to complicate the situation, so you understand my relationship with him, when he died five years before this, I had to sign to disconnect him off of life support. So I felt a lot of guilt and shame because the way we grew up, I quit for him. I didn't give him a chance to fight. And I felt like, I mean, I knew he would never survive the cancer that he had, but it's just the way my head was working. So I had this guilt, and, and then I couldn't even say, I love you, as he was moving on. You know, I, I, I thought about it, but I just couldn't say the words. They didn't come out of my mouth. The guilt that I felt because of that, for five years, was so deep I could never get over it and then we never cried we couldn't cry so there was no way for me to express what I was feeling and here I am looking at him and I'm saying oh wow I'm gonna be able to do what I couldn't do in life so we're talking but we're not talking the way I'm speaking here I could just hear him in my head and the words were, you know, we, we, of course, we said we love each other and we care and all that. And that was so profound and so, so rich. But then the magic moment happens. Because when we, we, we say, I love you, and he says, I love you, and we care and all that. There's this sense of a release of you forgive. I, I forgive him. He forgives me. But then I'm going to be able to hug him. And as I reach out to hold him and I hug him, Joshua, what happened is I become my dad. And the moment I become him, I lived his whole life in seconds. And I know everything he went through and the understanding that it gave me of why he was the way he was, why he couldn't express what he felt. You know, it, it, 
it made everything so simple. And I finally understood where he was coming from and why he was the way he was. And that he actually cared, that he, he was proud of me for graduating university. All these things that he never said in words, you know, they were real. And I, I tell people now, a lot of times we think we know what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes, but we, we never really do. You know, I could experience the same thing as you, the same thing could happen to us, but I experienced it different than you because of who I am. You know, how I grew up, all those things have, have an impact on these things and they change how you experience it. So we never really experience anything the same way, even though we're there together and observing the same, having the same experience. Uh, so I learned that very quickly there. But what happened, and this was the fourth defining moment, was that forgiveness is the biggest cure in the world. It heals so profoundly. And it wasn't that he forgave me and I forgave him. The magic moment was that I was able to forgive myself. And I was able to take back what I thought I had lost. I thought I had lost all these capacities to be human, to love, to do all that. And I reclaimed it, mine again. And then my dad looked at me and he says, you know, Jose, you gotta go back. And I'm looking at my dad and what I actually said to him was this, no way, Jose. He looked at me, he said, no, you don't get it, dude, you gotta go, you gotta go back. So I'm looking at my father and I don't wanna go because I, I told him very simply, I like it here, I don't wanna go. I knew my family was safe. Everybody was going to be okay. And uh, I felt comfort. And he looked at me and he said, no, you got to go. And I started feeling a pressure in my chest, something pulling me from the back. And the next thing I know, I'm back in my body. I open my eyes for a second and the doctor, she's doing CPR on me. So she's doing the compressions. And I look at her. And she just moved back. She got surprised that I opened my eyes, I guess. And I could see the strain and the stress in her. Next thing I know, I'm back with my father. And he looked at me and finally said, look, Jose, we, we got to make a deal. Let's make a deal. My dad was always making deals. So I looked at him and I said, okay, tell me what the deal is. He just looked at me and he said, well, I'll tell you what. I promise you that when your time comes, I will come and get you. I promise I will get you. And when my father told me that, that was like amazing deal. I could have been offered. And I just looked at him and I said, wow, that's such a great deal. How could I say no to that? And I started thinking, okay, I'm going to accept that deal. And just thinking of it, I started feeling that pulling in my chest again and from my back and then I'm back in my body. By now they have stabilized me. And I, uh, I'll share the first two things that I felt, Josh. Uh, and they were very interesting because the first thing I felt was, was I such a bad person that I had just got kicked out of heaven? I mean, that was like, wow how bad must I be that I just got kicked out of heaven? And then the next thought was, I realized I was inside this body again, and I felt separate from everything. The experience while I was on the other side was I was one with everything. Now I felt this separation all of a sudden, and I, I, I wasn't everything anymore. And that was very confining and made me feel trapped. So I started to get stressed. Uh, but uh, anyway, wound up in hospital for three months. Finally got out of there. My prognosis was you're never going to get out of here alive, so take care of your affairs. And I heard that quite a bit. But every time that I heard a cold blue in that hospital, somebody was fighting for their life. 
I would escape into those colors that are right behind me, things like that, that ball. And that's where I found my refuge. That's where I found my strength. And I would just go there and think about those colors moving. That's the way they accepted me and embraced me and didn't judge me. And it made me feel okay. And it helped temper the fear that I was going to have this again and die because they were telling me I'm never going to leave there alive. Uh, about six weeks after I'm in there, I asked my cardiologist, uh, said, you know, I, I think I went somewhere. That's all I said. I looked at me and said, oh, no, Jose. You, know, you had DMT. You have all these drugs we're giving you. You have, uh, you can't breathe, right? You, you, and then he said, and I'll never forget this line, your brain is still alive two minutes after your heart stops. So basically he was telling me that it was a hallucination. And uh, because I'm very science-minded, I embraced that. I said, oh, wow, that's all in my head. None of that was real. So I, I leave the hospital and I think something's wrong with me and I start going to get mental help. And uh, I went for a long time, for five years, but it took me three and a half years to tell a mental health professional why I was going to see her. And I was going to see her because I had this experience and I wanted her to tell me that it was all in my head. It's a pill that's going to make all that go away and I'm going to live the way I used to live. All that's going to go away. And one day I'm sitting in this mental health professional sitting in front of me, three and a half years later. I haven't said why I'm there. So every day I go, she's, I'm talking about the weather. I'm talking about all this crazy stuff that doesn't matter. She looked at me and she finally said, sat next to me and she took my hand. Joshua, the minute she took my hand, like I was in that bed, I was dying again. And that fear that I had, she tempered it. And then it was okay to tell her now. My family knew that I had died, but I could never talk to them about what I experienced because they thought I was already a little out there because I was never a spiritual person and I was talking about spirit and things like that. And they were like, you know, in fact, my, my son and daughter would say, where's the old Joe? You know, where's the old, where's that guy that was all science and never believed in all this? And then they made me feel worse because that's telling me like something's wrong with me. Anyway, I'm able to tell this, this amazing person that what my experience was and then she she really defined my life because one day we sat there right after that and she said to me Jose you got a choice you can either be in that world all the time and I guarantee you you're going to get medicated you can be in this world all the time then you're going to lose that amazing experience you had so I got a choice. What do you want to believe? Do you want to believe that when you die, it's shut off like a light and you turn into nothing? Or do you want to believe that your dad is going to come back and get you? She put it like that. And that made it so simple. It was a no-brainer. At that point, I'm like, what am I wrestling with here? Of course, it's I, I need to believe that my dad's going to come and get me. And it made me embrace the experience. And that changed my life forever, you know? And uh, I hope that you listening to this story, it, it helps you to define these things, some of these things that are so important in life and helps you to, to make that choice that I had to make. What do I want to believe in? I want to believe in me and that that experience was real and that my father was real and that I met him, that he said to me, don't worry, I'm gonna come get you. It's a beautiful thing. And the other one's so scary. I'm going to turn into nothing. I'm going to turn into blackness. I'm going to turn into emptiness. That was the choice. And that's the story. Oh, it's powerful. Really powerful. I appreciate it. You know, I've heard your story several times, especially just in preparing for this interview. And like every time I hear it, I get, <laughs> I get moved every single time, Jose. So I want to say thank you for really sharing from your heart with that. Um, you know, I just, I'm just curious because I don't know if I, anyone even asked you this maybe, but you have any idea like that one point when you were about to go out of your body 
that shadowy figure that I guess like a female shadowy figure. Do you have any idea who or what that might be? Well, I, I could only define her now in hindsight as, as an angel. I don't believe that we move alone. And because I didn't believe the only one that could come for me was someone that I didn't know. If I might have believed, I think maybe my dad would have come. Someone that you that loves you comes for you. So I know now that that was just that person that accompanies you on that journey. You don't travel by yourself. Hmm. And uh, whether you're aware of that or not, or not. So I think that she was like an angel. Yeah. A spirit guide, uh, whatever whatever your belief is, in my mind, she's like that. So in my father's world, she would be a spirit guide or a spirit keeper. Mm. And in my mother's, uh, it would be an angel. So either way, it's the same thing. Right. And I think she just came to comfort me and, and, and guide me through this transition. You know, because one thing that I'm, I'm going to share with you all right now is that when I died, my sense what I was that I was more alive than I am right now. So this world to me is very muted. So it's like taking really rich colors and making them really pastel-y. But it doesn't mean that this life doesn't have its, its own amazing value. So what I want to say is that when I had that dying experience, I didn't learn anything about living, about dying, I mean. The only thing I learned about was life, life, life. It was all about life. It wasn't about dying and losing things. That was my fear. But those fears unravel as you transition. And then you become aware that there is no death. At least in my mind. Now, I can't prove this, right? Joshua, this is anecdotal. This was my personal experience. Right. But I firmly believe that that experience was real and that uh, I won't die. I'll continue. For sure, for sure. I mean, so, you know, you definitely have this this message that you're going around sharing in the interviews, you know, the documentary that came out not too long ago. So there's definitely a passion about it. But so I guess my question would be, what do you think would be some of the potential benefits for someone who would hear these things? Because, you know, this this has changed your life, but then other people, they don't have NDEs, but yet you're sharing the story for a reason. What benefits do you think there, you know, there can be for those who can hear stuff like this? Especially yeah, those well, who are struggling with addictions or depression or anything like that. Well, benefits are very simple. What what I hope you learned from my experience was I let go. I had to let go of life. I had to let go of my family. I had to let go of everything I love. Even I had to let go of my dad again. So in, in my mind, he died twice already. I leave him twice. So it teaches you about letting go and accepting. When I got to that point where I said to myself, it's okay to die. There's no shame in this. You know, no guilt in any of that. It, it taught me about accepting some things that there's nothing we could do to change. And it teaches you about Forgiveness teaches you about forgiving yourself. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We do things that maybe we regret. We have to be able to forgive ourselves. And ultimately, I think it, it, it teaches you about what matters in life. What's important. I was driven by money. I had to have a car that was bigger than my neighbors. I had to be like, I thought that was what mattered. I thought people looked at me and had respect for me based on the stuff that I own. So if I owned a lot of stuff, the more stuff I own, the more they respect me. 
Then I realized that it's the simple, simple things in life that matter. I can't take a cent with me. I can't take anything. I could take one thing. Memories. The memories that I make with my people, the people I love, the people around me, adds anything, the things that matter to you, that's what you're going to take with you, those memories you make with that. That's what became important, and that's happening 99% of the time. So I'm going to give you a perfect example. I just took a deep breath. Before I died, I never thought about taking a breath at all. When I could not breathe and take that breath, I how magical that is. How I do that 20, 25 times in a minute, God knows how many times in my life. And I never think about it, I take it for granted. And that's what we do in life, we take so much for granted. And there's so much beauty and so much, so many things to love here. To, you know, uh, and I, I think that's what matters. It, the biggest thing I learned was to make happy memories. Make happy memories, make good memories. And we don't need a lot of stuff. You know, when I was growing up, uh, first job I had was flipping burgers and frying chicken. And a lot of my friends would make fun of me. You know, we, we, we struggled financially, so uh, I had to help my, my family out a little bit when I could, right? So I'd go to school, and then I had this job and take care of a lot of stuff, and we'd help our, our parents. And uh, so they're like, oh, you're, you're such a smart guy. What are you doing, like, working there? It wasn't until I had this experience of dying that I realized how important that job actually was. Because somebody came there to buy that. Sometimes they took that home to their family and they fed their family with it. And then I started thinking, well, gosh, I made that possible by having this here. And it just it just changed the way I started thinking about life. You know, I started thinking about how much value we have, how important we actually are, how we do matter, how... We beat ourselves up so much. Stuff happens to us that we can't control. We get abused, we get beat, we get molested. All kinds of things happen. And we blame ourselves. And then that feeds into other things and then drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things begin to happen. And uh, that guilt and all those things that we believe are real, take over. We, we need to dismantle them. The way to dismantle them is to find out what has value. You have value. You're important. One thing that I learned that is really important is that you are the center of the universe. Each one of us is the center of the universe. Everything happens around me. Everything. I am always in the middle. You are always in the middle. Everything. You're the point of origin. And the next thing I want to share is that we're important because of so many reasons. But one is if you believe in creator or God or spirit. And I'm going to throw a little bit of science in here. If you believe that it took 5 billion years for the earth to become what it is now, the way I like to look at it is it took God or creator 5 billion years, God of your belief, 5 billion years, make this planet a place to live. But we have everything we need. We have water. We have everything we need to live. Imagine what it takes to wait five billion years to create a space for us to how highly regarded we are. And I like to look at things like that now. I, I didn't used to. I like to look at 
it, it may be odd. It may look, some people might say, oh, that's a weird way to think, but I think it's just a beautiful way. We're that important. Let's not lose that. I really like, you know, just how you emphasize again, how just even the, the so-called little things are what really matters in this life. You know, as even before we started, you know, the interview, I was just telling you that I, my wife and I, we just got back from our midnight walk because we go outside every single day at midnight and just walk around and, and play with cats. <laughs> and um, in addition to all the wonderful things that we, we, we have and accomplish is like my wife and I, we just cherish actually these little so-called moments, you know, just being together and, um, I remember something that you said in another interview that stuck with me too, when you were just talking about just when you're with your family, just be with them. You know, when you're with your wife, just be with your, with your husband, just be with them. And honestly, when I heard you say that the other day, when I was watching that clip for, of you, that really hit home for me, you know, just reminding me to just be present and not to take advantage of, to, not to take for granted any of these, these moments, you know, and, it, yeah, your story is beautiful, Jose. You know, and, and I like it, you know, <laughs> you know, you were growing up, no more cry, you know, you don't cry, you gotta act macho. And then I just appreciate your vulnerability with you sharing your story and uh, it's powerful stuff, man. So you're making like a big difference, you know. So I mean, what what is next for you at this point in your life? So you definitely you're an amazing artist, and uh, you know, that's that's your work behind you, right? <laughs> Yeah, so that's really cool stuff, man. And and just you learning that. And before, from what I remember, before your NDE, you weren't, you didn't paint at all, right? No, I still can't paint stick figures. <laughs> that's a trip. So, uh, I have a little one that is really artistic that way. Mm. But uh, all I'm trying to do is capture what I saw. And then the idea right. behind this, Joshua, was because I still didn't consider myself as an artist. Mm. I thought, let me just paint this. Maybe I could use this in meditations to help people shift. Uh, very cool. That was the idea. Then uh, my wife actually looked at it and she said, wow, why are you hiding that? Why are you not sharing that? Mm. I thought the truth. I said, well, it's just something that I saw. It's not really art. But anyway, uh, I use this art now in, in rehab centers. My goal is to help people in the vulnerable sector, people that are really struggling. Yeah. And we have a powerful, uh, mindful modality that we use that is becoming incredibly effective and that we're beginning to be embraced by uh, the medical field. So we just had a medical company that partnered with us to take it to the next level. So hopefully they'll be able to bring that out into the world. Nice. Uh, based on the, this near death experience, nice. Nice. these nice. truths that we just heard, right? These truths, letting go, accepting, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness, and what is valuable, and how important you are, mm. you know. And a lot of people that are struggling feel they're worthless, feel they have no value, they have nothing to believe in. You know, uh, yeah. and a lot of people make them feel that way. They say they're worthless. They say you're nobody. Look at you. You're just a drug addict. You can stop that at any time. Can't. Hmm. And uh, I think if we just have a little more compassion sure. and we try to understand people a little better and try to figure out why. Yeah. There's always a why. The why is usually a very painful story. Yeah. yeah. Everyone has a story. And, right? and, and one of the things we need to do, and this is something that you're doing right now, is storytelling. You're sharing stories that could touch people in different ways and change their life in a good way. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. You know, I can't get this message out if it isn't for people like you, Sasha. And I think it's very important that you get that out there because somebody listening to this story today or the other stories that you've done, something they hear, like you heard, you said, oh, I, I heard I went, my wife walking. Something that I said kind of made you remember something. 
think about yeah. something. And that's very important because you create those shifts without knowing. You could change somebody's life completely. For sure. Without even being aware of it. And uh, that's the magic. There's magic in our voice. There's magic in our so many things that we do. And uh, you're able to, to, to put it out there, Joshua. And I, I, I really feel like that's so important because a lot of people have a story to tell. Everybody has a story. Right. That's what my right. program is based on. You're yeah. going to hear my story. Now I want to hear yours. Yeah. And I just call it story sharing. You know? And all we're doing is sharing our lives. And uh, most people don't get a chance to speak. Most yeah. people don't have a voice. Most people don't get heard. Yeah. And you need to find that place where they can get what they're able to tell what they got to say, speak what they got to speak. And the uh, change that that creates is, is powerful. For sure. I mean, you know, on my channel, Jose, a lot of my my viewers know that I'm a big story guy. So, like, I just share, I, I share stories all the time because for myself, I love studying concepts and, you know, metaphysics and things like that. But honestly, stories are things that really affect my life, like, on a regular basis. Because I always remember, oh, remember that story? Remember that story? And, and I was telling you a while ago that um, I had my own, like, out-of-body experiences as well. But before I had th those experiences... I was really sick at one point and uh, experiencing a lot of excruciating pain. And, it, and out of all the things that I've like learned and read about healing, nothing really changed my life. Like you mentioned, defining moments in your life, right? My defining moment when I was sick and when I was a skeptic, like you in a way, I was very skeptical of like healing and the, the so-called like miracle healings and things like that until I met a person who had an out-of-body, a near-death experience. And I remember as a skeptic, I was listening to this guy and I'm just like, I was starting to believe him, but I was like a huge critic for eight years against all types of healing. I just thought it was a bunch of nonsense and woo-woo stuff, but it was his story because when I heard this guy, I was thinking, well, if it happened to him, if it's true, which is weird that I'm actually open to you know, hearing him, if it's true to, for him, for him to receive this healing and it's possible that it could happen to me. And then I think that's what happens with with stories like yours is that people who are feeling a sense of, you know, where they're feeling they're hard on themselves or they're feeling hopeless. These stories that you're giving gives a lot of hope. I think what you're doing is an amazing thing. You know, I just more power to you just going around, you know, around and sharing your story, man. Um, I love it. I know I, I was just curious about like, have you had any experiences with your, your father communicating with you in some way, like through dreams or, do you just sense a voice speaking to you at times? Like, I'm just curious about that. Yeah, well, the reality is I do. Mm -hmm. I think we stay connected. I think when when you walk through that door, and lucky, some of us are lucky we come back, yeah. that door is always a little open. It never mm -hmm. shuts completely. So there's, there's that, you know, uh, part of the reason I went to seek mental health was because of things like that. My experience was I'm experiencing things that I shouldn't be experiencing that don't make sense, you know, and it made me seek help. So in seeking help, what I found was myself mm. because I, I, I was looking for something that I said before I already had, but not only did I have it, I had the power within me. To make things different. So mm. we was you were just talking about healing. Healing is from inside out. Yeah. Healing always starts in the inside first. It starts from your heart. And if you believe that you can help yourself, you can. If you don't, then you can't. And having that hope that you were just talking about and that is the most powerful tool in the world. Because being in the hospital for, for, for three months, what happens is your, your resilience and your sense of hope begins to be dismantled. Mm -hmm. And every day you have less hope and your resilience is being pounded and you're beginning to be, get beat. And then you're beginning to believe, I'm never going to get out of here. I'm never. 
And if I didn't have that experience and found that little ball of color that I used to go to, it's possible I might not have left that hospital alive because you believe me, you know? And I don't think that the doctor was doing anything wrong when he told me, take care of your affairs, you're not gonna get out of here alive. I think that's what he believed. Mm. But words like that steal something from us very important. Yeah. And I think that that's something that hopefully we change. We 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 learn to communicate a little different. You know, without taking something away from somebody else. Because words are very powerful and we don't think of it that way. But you know, the way Joshua said it, you, you can't you can't take it away. It's about hope. It's about finding a reason. And there's so many reasons. There are a lot of reasons to to to, to believe. And then ultimately it becomes that belief. I wouldn't be sharing the story if I didn't have that moment where I realized that I accepted this and it was real. Definitely. And if I didn't believe in this, my life, I don't know what my life would be like. I can't imagine it any different than what it is now. And it's not about stuff anymore. Because that painting behind me, I didn't paint them. I was the hand of the creator, God, whatever you believe in. Gave me the grace to do that. And when I move, when I move on, that painting's going to stay here. Not mine. It doesn't belong to me. And, and, and that's something that I hope I, I, I could share. We, we say my car, my wife, my house, everything is mine. The only thing that's yours is you. Everything that we do, we leave here. So if I'm a teacher, I teach other people. I leave it with them. You know, that's how important we are. That's how we matter. Everything we do, we leave here. So it, it, it just makes life magical. I look at ourselves as many creators. We're always making things. We're, we're right now talking through a computer that was created by someone so that we could be doing what we're doing right now. And I just, it's, it's breathtaking. It takes my breath away, all the things that we do as people. You know, we do so many beautiful things. Yes, we do some bad things. But we do a lot of really great things. And if we focus on the good things that we do, maybe one day there'll be a shift. And, and and if we begin to believe like Joshua, he had that experience where something happens that puts it right in your face and says, there's something more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then going back to that question you asked, which is very important about my dad. Yeah. I believe now that every time I think of my dad or I think of someone that I've lost, I've lost a lot of people in life. Yeah. I think of it in a way that says, I'm not thinking about them. It's them reminding me that they were there. Mm. They're sending me a little message and saying, don't forget me. And it makes that thought beautiful. Nice. So when I think of my lost, my loved ones that I've lost and friends and all kinds of, I think of it now in such a, wow, they just reminded me that they were here. Let me Definitely. remember some of those good moments I had with them. And I think that's very powerful. It is. It is. So, so what's next for you, Jose? You know, you got any projects going on? Yeah. More paintings? What's going on? Well, I'm going to keep painting. I, I want to get the paint out. I think there's a power in having these paintings in your room because it's, it's, all it is is what I saw when I was dead. Right. Then the way I paint them, when you light it, they move. Hmm. And it kind of reminds me of where I was. And I use them in meditations. I actually use them in meditations and in the programs that we do. They have a very powerful impact on people. Mm. You know, and to me, and I hope you'll, I'm sure you'll understand where I'm coming from. Color is not a thing. It's a living 
entity is alive and it moves and it it touches me and it makes me say wow i like this painting or i don't like that one there's a communication happening or i want this color on my wall i don't want that one i used to think of it as like it's a choice that i'm making but i think it's a communication that's happening now <laughs> and color to me is very powerful it's everywhere everywhere we look is color so it's there for us it's there for us to to enjoy uh, so i'm doing that and i'm going to focus on the rehab centers and mental health yeah can you give us a website where people can reach you or look into that more yeah you can go to www.innerimmersion.com okay. that's innerimmersion.com and then if you want to see the art it's jose hernandez fine art.com and then the gallery will be there for people to check out your work right exactly very cool very cool i checked it out earlier amazing stuff <laughs> i like the colors too jose you know don't want to take up too much of your time man so jose you know i just want to thank you for um first of all just making the time sharing your powerful story i know that this is going to make a big difference in people's lives just like how it made a difference in my own life bro so um yeah i just want to appreciate you and what you're doing you you just have a there's a there's this just gentleness and you're just i know i feel it like every time that you speak man so um thank you for being on the show and for making the time well, thank you for the opportunity joshua and uh remember what you're doing thank you thank you cool. you're the beacon right you're the beacon you're, you're how we get out there and, and and it's a beautiful thing you're doing and and you guys all out there i i hope you have good lives and that things move in a good way for you and, and believe in who you are there you go find yourself there you go there you go. and you, you don't look far to find yourself it's right here oh yeah let's go with go it there it's all within all right brother yeah. thank you for everything you stay safe awesome cool cool so alrighty, guys once again thanks for watching Till next time, we're out. Peace.